0: White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 707.
1: A hidden key, a leap not taken.
2: Retrace your steps, escape your past,
0: and the key will be yours at last. What part of your past are you trying to escape, Halliday?
1: This is the Oasis. A whole virtual universe. You can do anything. Be anyone.
2: Without going anywhere at all.
1: The Oasis was created by James Halliday. And what he left behind changed everything. A contest, three impossible challenges. The first to finish gets complete control of the Oasis, which means complete
2: control of the future.
1: The contest has got to be about connecting with someone,
2: connecting with the world.
1: So we take it together?
2: Sure. ready that's
3: better
1: i'll wave to you from the finish line mcfly that went well ten nine eight
2: seven ignition sequence Started. All engines are started.
3: We have ignition. Two, one, zero. We have a liftoff, We have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area. It's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center. It's the is moving off the path. It is now clear to the tower.
0: Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by all of our great patrons via Patreon.com. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, and I am here for our second installment of the Ready Player One fifth anniversary of the movie, this time actually talking about the movie. And I am joined for this episode by the guys from the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, Jason Colvin and James D. Graves. Guys, welcome back aboard. Thanks for having us, Van. We are happy to be here. We are happy to be here. Man, having you guys on twice back-to-back is a pretty cool uh, experience and a privilege and an honor, and I appreciate you coming aboard. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Looking forward to this discussion. (coughs) And we are joined, of course, always as always, by my occasional co-host, David Wright. David, welcome back aboard as well. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. As you mentioned, you're kind of like eight. You're on your mobile for this, uh, for this episode again. i got to stay mobile. If, if IOI shows up, I'm going to have to
1: kick it into gear and find another spot.
0: There you go. There you go. We're, yeah, we're here to talk about Ready Player One, the movie. And I think we all agree it was awesome. So we can go ahead and wrap up now. Drive safe, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> huh? Hey,
2: we do... We do, the, we do our Patreon episodes on one hit wonders or occasionally artists that we don't think will ever cover a full album on them. And uh, for Christmas this year, Jason picked Mariah Carey, All I Want For Christmas Is You, which disgusted me to no end. <laughs> <laughs> but- Before that, he had done Dan Huff, who had not had a big interest in, but I had gotten turned around once I started looking into him. And when we showed up to start that podcast, he was expecting me to have made that same turnaround on Mariah Carey. And when I didn't, he was very angry by the end of the podcast. He was holding it in. It was tough to tell from the audio, but I could tell in his face he was not a happy camper. I'm like, dude, playing, man, it's okay. So I say all that to say, Van, I'm sorry. (laughs) cares <laughs> for what I'm about
0: to say about the movie. <laughs> okay. Wait, where's my where's My kill switch. hold on go ahead. You got the big red button. I got the big Yeah, I actually have a big red button on here that I am not I am willing to push. So, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Now, so we got a lot probably to say about the movie and um I want to give out a couple of factoids about it first and then we're going to have a discussion. This um it did win the Saturn Award for Best SF Film of 2018 and well deserved it. It won nine other film awards for, F, uh, for special effects and music. It earned a close to $600 million globally, though probably about $200 million in the U.S. and $400 million globally. It's one of those movies that did better in other places because they marketed it better, I would argue, in other places. We'll get to that. It actually is, was at the time the ninth highest grossing film in the history of China. Passing Avatar for ninth place. Ugh, I like wow! That. Wow! I did not know that. Yes, and Steven Spielberg has said it was the second hardest movie he ever made after Only Saving Private Ryan. So
3: that had includes a lot of- Jaws. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, be- because of all the um, the CGI stuff and everything they had to do, it was just a very difficult shoot to have to, but it looks amazing. In fact, I remember one of the reviews at the time said they should have just spent more time in the Oasis because that really looked good, you know, uh, as opposed to just, you know, people in a normal environment. So, all right. So my question is to get us started, are we able to discuss the movie without the book? Can we take the movie for what it is or must it always be? A comparison can we not you know what I'm saying are we able to and I don't just mean us here I mean anybody is it possible to discuss this movie on its own Jason go ahead
3: yeah I think we can um, okay. on the night that I saw it in the theaters my heart wanted to see the book on screen and when that didn't happen I was disappointed however since then I have chosen to appreciate these as two separate entities
0: yeah yes yeah and, and as I always point out the things that people say we didn't get to see in the, from the book in the movie are not things I wanted to see. I don't want to watch somebody play a video game for two hours. I don't want to watch somebody recite every line from a movie. If I want to see every line from a movie, I'll watch that movie. I love the fact that Ernest Klein, who wrote, who co-wrote the screenplay, okay, changed it to stuff that would work in a movie. I like that about it. And I like the fact that I get different things. I want to see the same things over again. I'm somebody that likes more of stuff they like as opposed to saying, "Oh, don't ruin what I like by doing anything else with it." I'm the kind that's like, "Come on, keep going. If it if it sucks, it sucks and we'll just keep going." And so, I like the fact that instead of 3 challenges, we more or less have 6. 3 in the book, 3 in the movie. I like that. So, that's kind of how I see it, um, D. While I'm up in your corner of the of Hollywood Squares, did you have thoughts on that? And then I'll see what David says. Um, I actually agree
2: with you, and Jason and I were talking on, you know, as I was driving over here about this, about how I don't want to watch somebody play a video game either. So on that on that point, we're on the same page, and I don't even have a problem in a lot of circumstances changing the source material to fit a movie script, or you know, just change it just because hey, here's an even better idea. Uh, the, The issues I have with the movie, I mean, yes, after I saw it with Jason the night that it opened, when we were super excited about it, there were a lot of relationships to the book that I was struggling with, but I've seen it at least two more times since then. And I still have other issues that cause me problems with this one, but I agree with you. You can't, I, I don't think that there's ever been a movie like Jason was talking about how when you were a kid in the arcade or, you know, even my kids today will sit and watch each other play Xbox without actually participating and that that's entertaining. And I don't disagree with what he's saying, but I don't think a movie has ever accomplished that successfully. So I don't have a, I don't have a problem at all. Changing things so that it's more compatible to a movie and interesting for a movie. My my hangups are are
0: beyond that. Okay, fair enough. Good deal, David. What do you think?
1: Well, I was laughing a second ago because I feel like you're coming out hot. You were you were unloading all your ammo right right off the top of the show. I got plenty. I got plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And and I think you're not going to find any disagreement on your point. I'm I'm with D on that. Um, The the point that you're making about how these challenges were changed. For a vision, for the benefit of a visual media um, or me, a medium, uh, you're you're absolutely correct. I, I'm going to agree with you on that one too. And like Jason, I, I, I was so in love with the book, I couldn't wait to see what Spielberg, my favorite director, was going to do with my favorite book. It seemed like a, a no miss situation and. I was vastly disappointed because that's not what we got. So the question is, can we separate and look at them as two different things? Well, for the when I rewatched it in prep for this show, it was only my second time ever because I'd been so disappointed in it. I would rather read the book again. So I watched it consciously making the choice that I am going to separate these two. I'm not going to compare it to the book. I'm not going to relate it to the book just as a different thing. Does it stand on its own and entertain me? And I did my best to do that. My problem is where the movie failed in some areas, the only way I can fill in the gap was by going back to the book in my mind. So I feel like the movie forced me to keep uh, comparing to the book when I was trying not to. And so it becomes difficult. Can we separate them? You have to, if you're going to enjoy the movie you, I think the extent to which you can enjoy this movie is, to, is the extent to which you can successfully separate the two. And I, uh, as much as I try to do that, I still have trouble accomplishing it.
0: That's very interesting. I know. I appreciate that. I really do. I'm, we're joking a lot about it, but I'm serious about all this that I do want to understand. Because um, I, I totally get what you're saying. I, I just don't have any moments in the movie that that happens to me. You know what I mean? So, you know, you you said you reach certain points in the movie where you can't, where you have no choice but to go back to the book. That never happens to me. I don't want to get too much into the plot quite yet, but give me an example of a moment where that would happen to you.
1: Well, I feel like we got to that first challenge, that race, that car race, very, very quickly. Like, what in the world just happened? Like, we didn't go over, like there wasn't. I don't feel like there was enough setup. There was enough exposition. How did we even get to this first challenge? How do they realize they needed to do it? Is this is this race happen like every day inside the OAs? It was very, very quick to me. Okay. And it's like he put on his goggles and now they're car racing. And if I didn't have my knowledge of the book to fall back on, I would have already been lost within the first five minutes.
2: Somehow the emperor came back.
3: We're already talking about the rise of
1: Skywalker. <laughs> I just, <laughs>
2: I, I understand what, what dave is saying to me like they tried to cram it all in in those first few minutes of here's what's going on yeah and here's you know we're, we're given the exposition and we're giving you some visually entertaining things to watch as we're giving this um narration type of exposition the info dump but, yeah, yeah but and and that's why i can understand like i feel like i don't know because i can't like erase it from my mind but I feel like if I was somebody who hadn't read the book and I watched this, and it was suddenly the race scene, I'd be like, "How? Are, what are we doing here? How? What's going on?" Um, <laughs> and so, so I understand Dave's perspective on that one. They did just kind of say, "Well, somebody just discovered that it was this race, and somebody, here we are."
0: That's right. Yeah, somebody found the the gateway, and now we have to win it. So, right. So, somebody so found I, the yeah. Somebody found the portal, and now you have to being the no- Yeah, sorry, being the not writer here, to me, that's just a little bit of
2: lazy writing. Like, give us, you just explained everything. Well, you know, if you're going to do something new, that's fine. Tell us how you got there. Just tell us how did you get to the race. Can't be that hard to just give us a few sentences, even if it's more exposition of this is what happened.
0: Yeah, he said some long-forgotten gunter found the first, solved the first clue. Yeah, and I was I was like, okay, so we're just wanting to see the race. We're not wanting to, it, it. So the first one wasn't really a puzzle. It was more of just a challenge. We'd gotten past the puzzle. We never even saw what the puzzle clue was. Right. Right. Okay.
1: And if I if I didn't know the book, I would have I would have already been lost. I didn't feel like they did enough to really
0: establish that. So. Okay, I'll just I'll say this though, and that's that's a that's a subjective thing I think because my daughter was ten when she saw it with me. Had never read the book at that point, and she immediately said it's her favorite movie she'd ever seen. And we saw it five times in the theater after that. And then she read the book.
1: I, so. I, I, genuinely wish that I had seen the movie first, because I think I would have been, I would be able to have a truer perspective on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I want to like the movie. And Van, I know this is one of your favorite of all time, and I'm not someone that wants to try to trash on what somebody else loves, but it's it's hard for me to connect to this movie it fails to connect
0: for, for
2: me, me i just want to say this we're, we're we're kind of going we're already immediately going at <laughs> all of the things that we're having trouble with in the movie let me just say i don't think this is a bad movie i i do not think right. this is a bad movie at all this is a movie that had i not read the book i maybe would have watched one or two times and been like okay this is a this is a good movie i don't think it's a great movie i don't think it's as good as it could have been with the source material and the money and the directors that they had, I feel like it could have been a lot better, but I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad by any stretch. I mean, it's like okay. *Flight of the Navigator*. It's it, it's not a great movie, but it's a good movie. I'd rewatch it. So this is closer to *Raiders* than *Crystal Skull* for you, or? Oh, f- oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah, this is this is *Temple of Doom*. This is uh, *Temple okay. of Doom*. Good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can live with that. Yeah, for me, there's *Star Wars*, *Untouchable*, there's *The Fellowship of the Ring*, and there's *Ready Player One*. Wow. Followed by Kingdom wow. of Heaven. King- Number four is Kingdom of Heaven, the director's cut. And every time I watch it, I go, man, I really need to move it up. And then I'm go, but I can't move it ahead of those first three. I just can't. There's, it's it's like uh, synchronicity when Thriller's out. There's just nowhere it can go. It keeps banging, <laughs> its head on, you know what I'm saying? It keeps <laughs> banging its head on the ceiling, and there's nowhere to go. Okay. So that's right. now
1: you're now you're now you're talking in terms Jason can understand. That's what I figured. I'm
0: I'm talking right around <laughs> earth in words that everyone here can easily understand. That's right. Um, so let's uh, get into it a little bit then. So. I'm glad we had that little introductory chat, though, because I think that was important to lay down something, and it's informing my, my further questions, okay? So, since I think we agree we wanted to see something different than we got, but we didn't want to see what was literally in the book, what did we want to see?
3: Okay, I'll take that right now, because I disagree with the three of you guys. I did want to see the hmm. book, Okay. So I wanted Parzival to be sitting in school on Ludus and wake up and realize, holy crap, this is on Ludus.
0: I'll, I'll give you that. And I'll go along okay. with that. Yes.
3: And I wanted Parcival to be the first one to solve any of the puzzles, right? Like that stole the joy Okay. some forgotten gunter found the race. That pissed me off. That was, made me mad right out of the gate. Okay. And I also think you can successfully, certainly with the talent of this director – Make a compelling montage of Parzival playing Pac-Man <laughs> because we've all done it. We understand the stress level and how difficult it is. And for me, when you know he's doing well and the it starts playing Pac-Man fever over the speakers as he's getting closer, and then the scrambled screen, and you know, we could just be sweating bullets. oh my gosh, he's he's getting close. I think there is a successful way to do that. In Casino Royale, Bond is playing cards. I don't even understand the rules of the game, and I'm stressed out. So I think there is a way to do what was in the book on the screen and make it tense
2: and meaningful. The the stuff that they took out that I didn't want them to take out was him being the hero who solves the mystery. I mean, if we look at Raiders of the Lost Ark, we look at the Goonies, part of the joy is that there, there are clues. And that's one of the best parts about the book is that there are these clues that intellectually he has to figure out that the audience can also go with him on that journey and figure out with him. Um, and they've done that plenty of times in many movies, right? And for some reason, they did just kind of throw it away on this. They said they gave it to some other gunter and they didn't explain what happened. And I, I think that's that's kind of a travesty. I think that, I think that Jason has said it well that, this is a book that was meant to have a series of either movies or a TV series, like a mini-series-long yeah. um, adventure. If, if that was the case, then we would have time for so much more development, which I feel like was needed. Um, but we, even with the movie being, what, like two hours and 17 minutes long, it was it was though they were trying to pack everything they could into that, and it was overwhelming. I, I mean... I, I mentioned to Jason on the way over here, they have tons, like literally dozens or maybe hundreds of Easter eggs in this movie, but they're going by at 100 miles an hour. <laughs> <Is> There's
1: one. <laughs> There's an Easter egg at 100 miles an hour. IOI is here. I got to get out of here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is there a tech poodle? <laughs> So um the C-
2: yeah, like the CGI in this is absolutely incredible, but you what what I'm getting is you know 35 Easter eggs all in a second of half of second and a half of footage running across a mountain. I'm like I can't possibly process that this quickly. The fun thing about the Easter egg is that it's one egg and it's hidden. It's not just this you know massive 80s memorabilia that we're, we're throwing at everybody at the same time you know we want the the picture of r2d2 and c3po in the hieroglyphics in the tomb of souls that's what we want that little oh look at that right there you can see it right there not you know freddy krueger chucky the japanese anime characters all of them running across the screen in half a second That. That again loses the appeal that I think was so important to the book of you solve a mystery and you have one prize and that is what the Easter egg is. I'm sorry, I keep soapboxing
0: here. I'm very sorry. About that. It's fine. No, I I I do want to address one thing. I think those are all valid. It's all good. It's, again, this is all a very subjective thing. There's no right or wrong answer universally. I and I'm just that's why we're here is to get our views and, and opinions on it kind of out and kind of talk about it. It's fun. But I'll say this, you you mentioned the clues and the puzzles, and I think that you absolutely hit on one important thing that I, I totally do agree on, is that they really did minimize the puzzle aspect of it. We don't get the first puzzle at all, don't even know what it was, and the third one basically is just kind of on the fly, right, figuring out adventure, which leaves us the only one they even really try to figure out on screen is the second one, the Jade Key, and it goes by really, really quickly. They minimize it. They, they spend like two seconds with, with uh, Samantha and Wade in, real, in the real world talking about it a little bit, basically. That's it. But I'm going to say this, though. On the other hand, because I, I don't ever hear anybody talking about this, the thing that I thought they did so much better in the movie with that was that the clues-related to Halliday himself and his relationship with Og and with his, and with Og's wife. The, the clues in the book had nothing to do with anything except does, can Wade figure this 80s stuff out. And that's fine. It was fun. I love it. But in the movie, they very carefully crafted the puzzles around not just who knows the lines to war games, but who can understand the relationship between Halliday and Og and Kira. And you had to work out that in the archives, with Wade being in there watching the footage of them over and over and everything. That really had a powerful impact on me that they had made it much more meaningful in the movie than it was in the book, how he had to figure that out and what it really meant. So okay, David, you, you haven't had a turn yet as far as as far as that goes.
1: So we're comparing we're back to comparing the book to the movie. We're saying the book played up the puzzle aspect, the mystery aspect of it, which we all enjoyed. And the movie kind of minimizes that, discards it in favor of this hyperkinetic pace of everything is just a giant video game. And nothing wrong with that. It's just something different. So can you separate the two and enjoy the movie for what it is? Forget the book. Here's a hyperkinetic video game of a plot. Do you love it or not? But
0: but, um, in this, but in the service of understanding the relationship among the people that were responsible for creating it all—that's the—that's the point I'm trying to make.
1: Right, and, and and I think you make a really good point. Is is that the puzzles or the clues relate to your knowledge of Halliday, not to your knowledge of '80s pop culture, and that probably is a strength of certainly for adapting it to the film that you needed to be that way. Primarily because if you think about it, the movie is not about. 80s pop culture references at all um the the references that are in there are in my mind they're minimized and that's one of the most frustrating things for me they're on the screen but they're half in shadow and they're split second no attention's given to them and one of the major one one half of the appeal of the book to me was the 80s pop culture references right the other half was just the vr sci-fi aspect of it all but the other half is all this awesome 80s stuff the the movie it's not 80s at all i mean you got batman not 80s. Uh, the trinosaurus Rex, not 80s. King Kong, not 80s. Like, someone had to point it out to me later, but, uh, like, Deadpool and Harley Quinn are in okay. one shot. And the Joker. I, 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 I missed it. But, you know, again, those aren't 80s characters. So there are pop culture references in the movie, yeah. if you can find them, but it's not about the 80s. Right. So, um, so that almost necessitated a change in how the clues yeah. go. But for them to be related to your knowledge of Halliday himself, uh, was the change they needed to make, and so if you're not going to focus on the '80s, then that was a good choice to go with that. And also, instead of constantly referencing the diary or the uh, the website that played the loop or your Grail diary or whatever, for them to have this like 3D museum where you can go and playback moments in his life, that was a that was a change for the visual medium of film that I thought worked. You know, but but the question was. What did they leave out out of the adaptation that I wish that they had kept in? Well, it's the 80s references. Um, And I really was disappointed. And I think, I'm sure, this has to do with intellectual property rights, what Spielberg and Amblin and whoever can get the legal clearance for, as far as what type of characters they can stick in to the background of these scenes. But in the book, you know, that might be named and mentioned and emphasized in the movie— They're in half shadow. They're blinking. They're gone. They got nothing to do with anything else. No one mentions them. And it's like, you could focus on the characters and miss 100% of all of that. And well, that was half the appeal of the book to me. If I'm, if I'm excited about a ready player one adaptation, that's half the reason why. And it was basically just gone. And so that, that blink and you're miss it, uh, hyper kinetic pace of like, well, it just didn't feel like ready player one to me. It felt like more like speed racer or something. So, Again, you can see I have difficulty separating the book from the movie and I wish I could. And I, I wish I, I, like I recognize the movie good and did some things well. I, I really genuinely wish I could enjoy it more than I do. And I, I wish I'd seen it first because I think that would have made a big difference. Plenty of 70s in the in the book. I th- yes. Like I said before, I think Klein was more was more late 70s, early 80s than he was just strictly the decade of the 80s. Which is, true. Which is
0: kind of me, too. Yeah, I've. I... We did a whole White Rocket show a year or two ago uh, with Michael Gordon and a couple other people on uh, 1977, 78, 79. Just those three years because they were just so amazing. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if we want to talk much more about what did the movie do better or worse than the book. We've kind of I think we've kind of been around that that bush a couple of times. Anybody? Any other thoughts along those lines? Let's just be fair and say give you another chance if you want to.
2: Things balanced. I I, I want to talk about the things that I did like that they did. Good. I I did like the. The cgi in the movie I, i'm a i'm a genuine i do not like cgi for the most part but they did it very well in this movie i mean the cgi did not leave me wanting at all right. um and maybe that's because it was in a virtual reality which is the appropriate place for a cgi but it was it was very well done very crisp the camera movements were all good it was very perfectly executed I know uh, Dave has kind of joked around about the uh, the, the flick sync even though it's not quite a flick sync of the shining in the movie but that was one of my favorite parts I thought I thought seeing these CGI characters walk into what yeah. in all respects appears like an exact replica of the shining movie and there's you know there's stuff going on that you're like now there's that was not in the movie but they have done a good job of making it look like it was in the movie and the the trick that they played with the, the river of blood that comes out of the elevators, and the women, and the woman in the bathtub with H, I thought that was fantastic. I thought they did a really a really great job with that. I also thought that the uh, castle of Castle Vanerak, I thought they did a great job with that as well. Those those scenes, other than the the, the barrage of characters that was coming by too fast for you to appreciate. Other than that, I thought that they were very
1: well. Uh, to the point about the CGI, I had the same attitude about CGI in general. And I think it doesn't bother us in this movie at all because we accept the rules of the world, which is that it's a virtual world anyway. And the fact that it is a virtual world means they did not have to make the CGI photo realistic. You know, uncanny valleys are acceptable. And um, so you're able to buy into it. Personally, though, and we could probably get into this a little bit later when we're talking about the characters. Um, Another problem I had was really feeling connected to the characters and relating to the characters. And I wonder if it would have been a better choice if they had taken the Matrix approach of not, uh, of just shooting the actors and just, you know, just shooting it and saying you're in a VR world and giving it that hyper photorealistic look because you're actually, you know, you're actually just shooting the actors. I, I never. Separate from the fact that they're cartoony and I understand that it's you know You're in the VR world and they're all avatars are all characters anyway But I didn't connect to any of the characters as well as I did in the book And I think that might be a reason why
0: Dee mentioned The Shining and I want to say that I would much Much rather watch the characters interacting in the movie Than watching somebody watching the movie and reciting the lines 100% That was great The choice of the car race
1: and the choice of, of entering into the Overlook Hotel of The Shining were both great choices for the film adaptation. And I would like to have seen more of that, you know, of of entering into the space of recognizable locations that reference pop culture. That was a good way to go. I wish we had seen a little bit more of that.
0: Do you know what uh, it was supposed to be originally in the script instead of The Shining? Blade Runner. Supposed to be Blade oh, yes, Runner, right. which was in yeah. the book. Yeah. So he would right. have gone right. into the Tyrell Tower and done yep. the voigt Kampf test and had to fight like the Matrix with all the dudes. That would have been, I'd like to see that. I'd, I'd like to. I I love the idea. One of you guys said a while ago of just make it like a Netflix show. If they remade it as a Netflix show and could do all of that stuff, I would like an extended Blade Runner segment so bad because that would be just the coolest. But uh, but no, I thought The Shining was fine. I remember in the theater the first time going, oh. Well, that came out of nowhere, but okay. And they, and they kind of made it make sense in the idea that that was the the movie that they watched, you know, that he didn't, because that was the leap not taken. that, that he. Uh, I love when Halliday says, uh, she wanted to go dancing, so we watched a movie. <laughs> Just like that, that totally speaks to every nerdy guy that ever went on a date, right? It's so good. That's, that's so good. I also like the idea, we talked about how uh, it was knowledge of Halliday that gets you you know, gets you bonuses here, and he actually he gets the, the extra life from knowing stuff about Halliday and Og rather than just playing Pac-Man. And I do understand what you were saying a while ago, Jason, about there could have been a lot of tension around a Pac-Man game. You, I agree, you can do something like that well. You can do it. But again, I keep coming back to the idea that I appreciate that in this movie it's more than just mm-hmm. you know some trivia and you can play a game. It's that you can figure out you can solve Halliday's life problem, kind of, you know, that he didn't take the leap, all that. So, so let's talk about the characters. I want to work our way through the, uh, through the high five. What did, there were certainly changes, certainly in, in appearance with some of them, uh, and then with, and, and in a couple of cases more than that. So uh, let's start with Parzival. Did you like this version okay? What did you appreciate or, or not like? Jason, we're gonna start back around the, cor- around the horn again. I'm pretty neutral
3: on the actor, Ty Sheridan. I thought he did a fine job for me. Parzival is the audience, you know, and so he allowed us to kind of look through his eyes. So I think he did a fine job. I I do have some problems with other characters, and I do like some characters better in the book, but for this one, two thumbs up, everything's fine. So I like Artemis better in the movie. We talked about that last week. Amen. Uh, I agree. She's cute and charming and funny and smart, and uh you know sarcastic and she's not edgy and gripey and you know what we everything we talked about last right. week how she's less likable in the book than she is the movie the <laughs> graves uh i i think that the biggest sin character wise though is the lack of true menace from sorrento for mm. me that's the biggest sin of okay. the entire movie uh, the character in the book Sorrento was was Hans Gruber, right He yeah. was smart and he was deadly, and you didn't cross him and he was always one step ahead in this you know he gets hit in the balls and you know he's just kind of a little bit of a goofball yeah. and Finale is the one who does kind of the dirty work, so that that was my biggest problem is I think they really missed the mark with sorrento yeah. h h was a little bit goofy I liked her character better in the book, her his you know whatever, uh, in in the book, smart again very competent very capable Gunter, and I didn't like the uh, you know just kind of the goofiness in the overlook where I don't watch <laughs> scary movies and all that stuff. There you go. So you didn't like that? I did not like that. Yeah, I thought ancient
2: mm-hmm. side of the shining was one of the best. That
0: that was that the- was. Literally, yeah. the moment that it shined to me. 100%. <laughs> if what, you about, will. what about Daito and Show, Jason?
3: Uh, they were fine. I was okay, you know, changing you know, countries and changing ages. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was okay with that. I do think Daito should have died. I think there was some real uh, emotions with that in the book when they actually IOI, cut him out of the thing, tossed him out the mm-hmm. window. They were serious killers, and in the book they're just kind of just goofballs yeah i mean i just they're stormtroopers they're stormtroopers there you go that was my biggest problem in the movie you mean in the movie yeah yeah okay
2: i, I think they see. yeah there should be more menace we already know how i feel about um artemis uh and and I, i'm gonna i'm gonna give a little explanation here i think that when he describes when she's talking about being a liberty gibbet and he's describing her very, you know, when he very, very first meet and likens her to Jordan from Real Genius. Real Genius. I was, well, I had a total crush on Jordan from Real Genius. And so I immediately crushed on her with him at that point. And so I wanted a little more Jordan from Real Genius when I got the movie. So I was that's yeah, I was gonna say she she says fliperty gibbet. She goes rambling on. She's like Jordan. I wanted I wanted more Jordan esque uh, with the girl in uh, the movie. Uh, Parzival, I didn't have a problem with him at all. Obviously, uh, he's not exactly how I had him imagined in my head. He his awkwardness was good when he did first meet her. Uh, but uh, H, I liked. I thought they did a good job with H. I wasn't as big a fan uh, of the actress. I don't think that she was bad. It just didn't... She didn't feel right to me in that part for some reason. I, I can't put my finger on why, but just not quite right. Um, and then we've already talked about how I felt about Dido, that I like him better in the book. And then Shoto being a little kid, uh, that gave him a little short-round kind of humor, which I thought was a nice addition for the movie, so I didn't have any problem with that at all. Like Jason, and I, I said this from... the moment we walked out of the theater my biggest problem was with sorrento not only did he have these kind of goofy moments he gets kicked in the balls like jason said but they had they had a, some sort of fake teeth thing going on with him and i thought that it was like they did this purposely for the movie like i thought because i've seen you know he's in rogue one he's in a bunch of other things and he doesn't have those teeth he doesn't have those kind of uh the judge from who framed Roger Rabbit. he doesn't have those kind of goofball big teeth. I didn't
0: know. But notice he did,
2: that. In this, I totally and I was like, why why would we want to have a goofy villain? Like
0: goofy villains aren't scary. That, They're not intimidating. That went completely over my head. D. I have no idea about the about his teeth. That's never something So
2: about I, that I tried was. to I tried to look at it a little bit and I wasn't able to get a whole lot of information from it. But I guess I can't remember the actor who who plays Ben
3: Mendelssohn. Yeah, Ben yeah. Mendelssohn,
2: that's right. So I guess that he had—he was trying to get some other part in a different movie and was one of those dedicated actors like Nick Cage who was willing to yank out teeth (laughs) in order to get a part that the character had to be toothless or whatever. Um, And so I think that those teeth were not a movie choice. I think that was just a we're trying to temporarily fix this toothless problem. Whatever the motivation was, right or wrong, I just... Felt like it kind of killed that intimidation factor of Sorrento that you just made the book so good.
0: Yeah, that's all new information to me. That's interesting. Yeah, I know. I I agree that he is kind of more of a comic villain than he is like a deeply serious villain. Um, all right, I'll I'll reserve all of my uh, breakdown for last. So David, bring come back to us. Come back to us, David. Come back to the light. Come back. So,
1: uh, Daito and and Show,
0: right? Um, to me were
1: hurt by the movie i don't feel like i knew them at all they were they were very marginal to the story of the movie that's um true. this the best thing i can mm-hmm. say about them is that daito's look right with the samurai armor and the uh who's the actor that's in all the kurosawa's films had the face projected on there my Mif- Mif- or something Did that was a Mif- cool look yeah. so i know what you're saying that uh daito was redeemed a lot from the book by the movie. He was helped out a lot by his role in the movie, but I think it came at the expense of Show slash Shoto. Um, I think the loss of Daito in the book really did a lot for the character of Shoto. And as a result, Show is kind of left like as the short round comedy relief. You know, I think whatever rehabilitation we got for Daito, it came at the expense of, of show. Um, but I didn't like, it, it felt like random when they first were introduced into the movie. And I don't feel like they got a proper introduction. And they, they I don't know, it just I never connected to them. They were just along for the ride on this, like, you know, hyperkinetic m- movie that we're in. Uh, H, was H so cartoony uh, in the book? Because the, the look of the avatar was so different than anything I had imagined that I was thrown off by that. The coolest thing about H in the movie was like he, he's the mechanic and he can work on the Iron Giant and all that kind of stuff. But again, I never felt connected. I felt a lot more connected to the H of the book. I, I, I disagree with D on the casting choice for Helen. I thought I thought they nailed that part. I thought she I, I totally believed her as Helen. And but then it, it comes down really to Parcival and Artemis. Because, I, like I said, I, I didn't feel the connection to the other characters in the High Five. But if you don't connect to Parzival and Artemis, then the movie's not going to work at all. Um, I, and, I, and I think on the movie, on its own terms, it did work. Um, Artemis certainly you know, has more to do. is a, a stronger character, a leader of the Resistance kind of thing. Recruits Parzival into it, um, or wade into it. Kidnapped, um, yeah. So, and there's a lot of... There's a lot of good stuff there for the character of Artemis in the movie. Totally, you know, don't disagree with that. But this is what I wanted to get to is they made a big, big change from the structure of the story in the book when they had Wade and Samantha meet each other in the middle of the story instead of at the end. That's right. And the high, the high five come together in the real world early, like in the middle of the action. And where in the book. You don't get that until the very end. And while that can totally work, you know, for a, for a different entity, you know, you got to separate the two, right, to enjoy them. This is a different choice to make. And don't think about the book. It, does this work or not? It probably does. But I had someone point this out to me. I won't mention his name, but his initials are James Buckley. <laughs> um did not. <laughs> he uh, he actually hates Ready Player One, this the book, the story, everything about it. And uh he says <laughs> <laughs> Well he said the reason why is um I think I don't want to misrepresent him, but what I took out of my conversation with him was that there's not a big character arc, there's not a big transformation for Wade from the beginning of the story to the end of the story he's still the same guy Mm -hmm. so I thought about that because you know I call I call myself a writer who considers those types of things important and I love the book so do I agree with that or not well what's he doing well you know he's kind of right there's not a big transformation arc there and I think that Klein is depending on the audience to have like this anti-big corporations sentiment you know because that's what wade is doing he's fighting the big corporation he's fighting for the future freedom of internet users basically so that thing that's a valid point to say he's not going he's not undergoing a vast transformation art but what does happen in the book is what what's the lesson learned okay the lesson learned is that you've got to work together okay so wade is solo artemis is solo And they're anti-clan, right? You don't, you don't, no one, no, no real Gunter wants to join a clan. And they're on this quest alone. But what they find out, and and in the end, what Halliday forces them to do by using three keys at once, the lesson learned is that you've got to work together as a team, and you can't be selfish. So I, so I do disagree with James. There's my, there's my, uh, there's my justification as a writer for liking this book, is that there is a theme, there there is a message told about. Uh, about the importance of teamwork, the importance of coming together and working together to accomplish a goal. And I think that particular theme is discarded when, in the movie, you bring them together so early. So again, doesn't mean it doesn't work in the movie, but you're, you're fundamentally changing, I think, the message of the story of the book, however you wish to adapt that story.
0: All right. No, that's a very good point, and I'll I address it this way. Uh, I agree that they bring them together early and it does change the dynamic of what they're trying to do in terms of the character transformations. That's absolutely right. But they do still learn the lesson of needing to work together and not just when it's expedient, because at the end after they make a point all the way through the movie that, that he keeps saying, I don't clan, I don't clan, right? I don't clan. And then at the end, he says, I'm sharing this with my clan and they bring them all together. So they do hit on that a bit. Now it is kind of a tell don't show I give you that but they they kind of do that but the other transformation that they do with Wade in the movie is the whole Halliday wouldn't make the leap and he says I'm not Halliday I'm not like Halliday I'm making the leap and he kisses Samantha so it's, it's thin I'll give you that but they do hit on both of those things they hit on the transformation from single to a team and they hit on He's learned the lesson Halliday has been trying. Because a lot of it in the movie is Halliday's just trying to teach a lesson. Right? He's saying, don't make the mistake I did. That, you know, don't put something ahead of your relationships with people you care about. Make the leap. Make the effort. You know, hold, love somebody. Even the last little bit where he has to sign away that he's, you know, the sole proprietor. They even have to, he throws the pen down and says, no, I'm going to give the whole oasis away rather than lose what I have with my friends. So... They do some effort, but and I think we, I think we've all touched on this a little bit during this conversation, is they have to cram so much into that two hours, right, that everything like that gets minimized, whether it be the puzzles or the character transformation or other things we haven't even talked about. Everything has to get minimized in order for everything to be included. I wish the race was five more minutes long. Because every time I, I watch the, I, you know, in between a couple of my classes, I have fifteen minutes, and I'll often I have the I have the movie on a USB drive where I have all my powerpoints from my classes, and I'll just stick the race on and have the race running in the background when my students come in. They're like, "Oh, here we go again." I'm like, "Yep, here we go again. Here goes the race." Because you can just watch that that ten minute, five minute segment. You know, and they don't need anything else. So I think those are all very, very good points. All right, so we. Uh, all right, let me run through the characters real quick. I, I don't want to monopolize, but I haven't had my turn. Let me run through the characters real quick. All right, so Parzival, yeah, I think about the same. Some strengths better than the book, some less than the book, kind of a wash. Uh, Artemis, I like better in the movie for the reasons Jason and I have talked about, and because. They give her more agency. We didn't talk about this on our last episode, guys, but there was a big controversy when the movie came out, right before the movie came out, about the book, because the book came back into people's consciousness in 2017, 2018, when they knew the movie was coming. And there was this big thing about how Artemis in the book, some of our more you know, ideologically extreme friends that I dearly love, many of them, but we had serious disagreements on social media about this. David, you probably saw some of it. You guys, I don't think, were in my orbit at that time, so you didn't. But but some of my dearest friends were like, oh, it's misogynistic. Uh, Samantha Artemis is just a prize to be won by the guy. She doesn't have any real agency and all that. And while I don't agree with that, and I would point out things like she was the first one to find the Tomb of Horrors, for example. Just didn't happen to be good at Joust, but... You know, who's that good at just random at a random game? But on the other hand, I do like that the movie did address that a little bit because she got to be the one that went inside IOI instead of Wade. Now, I will say this I I said last time that in the book, when he goes inside IOI risking his future, right, his life and his future, that's one of my favorite parts of the book. But, and, and I regretted that we didn't get to see that the way it was in the book. I did. That's probably the thing I missed more than anything else from the translation over. But letting Artemis do something kind of like that, I thought was a very good idea. Because if you're not going to do it, and if you're going to just do a kind of a minimal version of it, let her do it. Because she was the more idealistic one anyway, right? Wade is, I'm going to buy a big house and a bunch of cool stuff. Artemis is, I want to shut this down because of what it did to my father. And she's like, you live in this fantasy. She doesn't even want to be there. Movie Samantha has made Artemis so great, not because she likes it, but so she can win and push the big red button, I think. She just wants that button, or at least to, to get rid of the IOI part of it. And so I like that about her more, okay, that they gave her these motivations and reasons and justifications. All right, H is just cool in both. It's a wash. And I said H is probably my favorite character in the movie, just because H is so much fun. The, the and the, and I agree the shining part is so much fun and then Daito and show the the changes are fine whatever but again I like that Daito is so likable I think that one of the re I didn't realize how unlikable Daito was in the book until I watched the movie because Daito is so likable in the movie I'm like wow he was so much nicer than he was in the book I went back and listened to the book again <laughs> and I'm like. What a jerk he is in the book. So I like that. And then Show was again kind of a throw. I agree with David that I think it was David that said that, that Show kind of gets the short end because Show, show kind of gets demoted to the cute punchline. Ninjas don't hug. I'm a I'm the world's toughest 11 year old or whatever. You know, Mira was like 11 when we saw this the first time, so she thought that was awesome by the way. And I but I did get I did score one on you, David. I, you have to give it up for this. Say what you will about Show. Show drove the black Trans Am from smoking the bandit.
1: He gets maximum uh, death day points for that.
0: 100%. Yes. He's a legend. And then, and then wrecks it. <laughs> <laughs> it blows up. I love that so much. It blows up. <laughs> what are you going to do with all that beer? <laughs> <laughs> I'm eleven. I can't carry beer. (laughs) Yeah, we needed the snowman to show up with the eighteen wheeler behind him. That would have been that would have really been cool if if the big old uh, the bandits eighteen wheeler snowman. All right, so we did the characters. Uh, Oh, oh, by the way, here's something we haven't really noted. There's there's basically two new characters, right? We get a completely different IROC, but we only see IROC in the Oasis. We never see the real Iraq, which I don't guess we do in the book either. And then in the, and then in the movie, we get Finale, I forget what her last name is, um, but we get Finale, uh, who's the cool lady from the second Ant-Man movie. I like her a lot. And she we only see in the real world. We never see her in the Oasis. So we get, a, we get an Oasis-only character and a real-world-only And I thought that was interesting. If you guys have anything about that, I'll say just a second. And then also, I really like that we actually get some faces on the Oologist. I really enjoyed those cutaway scenes where you see the red-headed girl and the big heavy-set guy. And they're trying to figure it out because you you look at them and, and see them in the real world and you think they want to be playing this so bad, but they've sold their souls to IOI. And this is the purgatory that they've chosen for themselves by taking that check that Parzival wouldn't take and that the high five presumably wouldn't take. All right. So, um, Jason, do you have any any other thoughts on any other characters that we mentioned before we move on?
3: No, I just I, I did enjoy the Oologist cheering for Wade at the yes. end because everybody wanted to see the completion, right? Yes. Just put the key in the hole, you know, put it in the hole. Do you and, want it or what? <laughs> <laughs> that part was exciting in, in the movie when uh, he's trying to put the key in and he's getting rammed and all that stuff. Yeah. So that was fun. I agree with you there. Finale, I, nah, I wanted Sorrento to do the dirty work.
0: Yeah, that's fair. They kind of took the hard edge from Sorrento and made a new character for that. And it kind of, I, I i guess in a way, Sorrento needed somebody to talk to, to kind of tell us, you know, what was going on. So you needed a flunky, but they did kind of give her the better part of Sorrento in a way. So, okay. D? She's like, I job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point.
2: I to see the oologists. Uh, I had a different image of them as more inept and buffoonish, um, <laughs> you know, like guys who wanted to be holiday experts, but weren't really in the book and in this one they really were they just i mean they were young you know eager-faced people who just thought I maybe mean, it's like a lot of young eager-faced people who work for a corporation that they don't really realize is this bad corporation that they should be scared of they're just like hey i can get a job where my love of holiday information um i get paid for and so yeah no I, I i enjoyed seeing them i enjoyed that part as well
0: good deal david I think
1: it was important for the movie to elevate Iraq to a like a kind of uh, boss level villain. You know, a face, uh, an antagonist. Uh, put a face on an antagonist inside the Oasis. I, I, I think that was important. He's kind of like the uh, Urukai at the end of uh, Fellowship of the Ring. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta pick. There's got to be somebody, some mid level villain. To beat, you know, um, I think you serve the same function, maybe even also a little bit of a Boba Fett function. You know, you're, you're going around trying to solve all the big plot, and then this guy keeps popping up and causing trouble and complicating things at the worst possible moment. So, uh, I thought that was good. I thought it was a good use of the character, and you know, and to pick somebody minor from the book and elevate him like that. I, I thought that worked. Finale, uh, she kind of got on my nerves. I mean, I didn't like her, <laughs> but um. I wonder though. I just, I did just pop in my head. This probably has no merit at all. But is there any chance that I rock was Finale's avatar?
0: No, there's because no way. They're totally different.
1: It's just one you only see in the Oasis, and the other one you only see in the real world. So yeah. one, one scene that was not in the bu- book that I thought worked really well, probably my favorite part of the movie, was when they tricked Sorrento into thinking he had exited the Oasis when he really had not. That was it. Um, that was well, like well. total, like Mission Impossible tv show kind of con they ran on him you know which i loved i I thought that i thought that worked really well i thought that was cool that was great yeah
0: yeah it was a john Wu thing too he was he was the killer he was the hard-boiled killer the john Woo deal that was pretty neat yeah i like that all right so we move into our last little segment here of other stuff what was your favorite moment or scene in the movie and just totally put the book aside what was your favorite thing from the movie jason
3: Well, obviously the assault on Anorak's castle for me was the most fun flying by Chucky and robots and you know, all that stuff. I I totally had a blast and the, the twisted sister, we're not going to take it was the perfect needle drop at that moment. So that part worked great. I do think at the end when, when was trying to put the key, the crystal key in the slot, that part is tense. I thought that part worked really well, but I'm going to vote again or the assault on Anarax castle.
0: Good deal. All
2: right, D. Uh, it was the high five in The Shining for me. That was, I, I thought that was great. I really enjoyed it. Very nice. David.
1: I like the Mission Impossible game they played where they, they tricked Sorrento into thinking he would exited the oasis and he had not. I like that a lot. I also liked the scene in the nightclub where he pulled out the Zemeckis cube and was able to go back in <laughs> time uh, 60 seconds and Escape the Trouble. I thought I thought that was pretty cool.
0: I think that probably I'm... I, I love the whole movie so much it's hard for me to pick one, but I, I got two that probably... I, I do like the scenes you guys have all mentioned, absolutely. But I, I love the race so much. I've watched it over and over. I mean, I've watched the movie probably 25 times, and I've watched the race by itself probably another 50 times, honestly. I just love it. I love it. But I also really... um I really like the Distracted Globe. I like I like how it looks. I love it's all the purple lights and everything. And he's in Buckaroo Bonsai outfit, and she's got that red dress. And the and I.O.I comes in, and we even have we have um, I.R.O.C. gets some gets some interesting moments there. Yeah, I love the Distracted Globe. I think it's probably between the race and the Distracted Globe for me. But all the set piece scenes are just so good so good so and you know there's one other character i want to mention that that i really think works really well in the movie that i don't think gets enough attention and that's rick i really like that actor that played rick the the not stepdad but the the guy dating the aunt he's such a Uh, good but he's such a good dorky bad guy you know don't you call here i don't want to hear your voice ever again (laughs) (laughs) well you won't rick don't worry about it (laughs) So I, I really wish they that. had uh, I wish Spielberg had
1: gone for a little bit of a, a grittier bleaker tone for the real world stuff in the stacks uh, to me uh, I don't think it sold the misery as well as as the book did. Uh, I would like to have seen that to have a little bit of a rougher tone I, you know and then at the end of the movie when they all show back up at the stacks again and then all the residents of the stacks come out in you know into in block. Sorrento you know I thought that was really cool Like here's the whole community getting together To resist this oppressor what, what fell flat for me though Is all he did was show his gun And all these like you know Trailer park people They, they just get quiet meekly part ways And don't say a word Let them, Just because he showed a gun are you kidding You do that in a trailer park see what happens It's going to be quite awesome. Especially in Oklahoma City Oh first of all can I say something about Oklahoma City Completely erased from this movie. Total Oklahoma City erasure. It was one hundred percent set in Columbus, and you know, I, I now have a little bit added sensitivity for for people of Oklahoma. I don't I don't, sure. I, I don't know if I can stand for this erasure.
2: <laughs> I felt like Jason and I had a part in the movie, and it ended up on the cutting room floor. That's
0: right. <laughs> I like. Thanks,
2: Dave.
0: Yeah, they did kinda again, this is another way they compressed it they by not having him travel, but but yeah, when he traveled on the bus and everything it was one of the kind of one of those neat little scenes that we had to lose. It's unfortunate. So all right, we talked about a lot of the other stuff in my other stuff category. I do want to ask you guys if anybody has any thoughts about the deal with Halliday at the end, because that kind of pops up a little bit in Ready Player Two, the book, the idea that maybe Halliday is not exactly what we thought. So, uh, D, you look like you have something, interesting, something to say.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, this is the first time that I've seen the movie since I read Ready Player Two. And yeah, that moment that didn't, that you just, it was just like, okay, well, good. They've got a little mysterious question mark at the end of this thing. But yeah, when you know that, you know who the, the villain is in Ready Player Two, that takes on an entirely new meaning. And I don't know if, I don't know how much of, I, I would guess that Klein probably had a pretty good outline of what Ready Player Two was going to be mm-hmm. while he was writing the script for the movie Ready Player One. Um, so I, I f- yeah, I definitely think like that was a nod for sure.
0: Yeah, Jason,
2: I don't know. I can't really
3: talk about this because I haven't read Weddy Player Two. So, uh...
0: but just in terms of that, <laughs> they made this whole production out of he's not uh, he's not still alive. But he's so he's not an avatar, but he could communicate with Wade or with Parzival, have a conversation, everything. It, yeah. It just it, it, it struck me the first time I saw it way before the book, the second book came out. It struck me. It's like, I'm like, where were they going with that? You know? Yeah. I felt the same way
3: when I watched Man of Steel with Russell Crowe's character. It's like, is this a recording or is this artificial intelligence? You know, I was just happy that Wade won the contest and all the stuff
0: at the end, you know, the red button. I thought, I mean, it's okay. It worked for me, I was good with it. Well, I'd say this, after the movie came out and I saw it the first time, actually the lady that cuts my hair, we talk about movies a lot, okay, when she's cutting my hair. And she said, yeah, I saw it. She hadn't read the book or anything. She said, I saw it and I was good. She says, good, but her big thing was, what was the deal with Halliday at the end? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm thinking, if your takeaway from seeing this movie is wondering what the deal was with Halliday... They probably shouldn't have even gone there with it, because that shouldn't have been your takeaway from this movie. Is to wonder what the big cliffhanger about Halliday was. I thought that was more like just a little random a detail. You know what I mean? That was more of a detail than something that you're supposed right. to walk out of the theater going, "Oh, I got to get the sequel so I can find out the big secret of how." That I didn't get that. So, I don't know, David.
1: Well, I would say if if you're immediately come out asking questions about the cliffhanger ending, then. Maybe the movie did do a good job of keeping you on the hook through the whole thing, you know, and you did follow it all. I I don't know. I was so excited to see a Raiders of the Lost Ark poster in the background that uh, I, <laughs> they could have been talking about anything in the in the scene. I think there was a I think there was a rush. Uh, 2112 poster also
0: yeah.
1: yeah so i was like okay all right this is the movie oh it's over okay but um <laughs> you know I, I have not read ready player two so all this talk's going right by me so but it's making me interested in it i guess i need to check it out
0: i want to ask you guys some trivia real quick just a, another little handful like we did last time just to give a taste but before we do that, I would kind of like to get an o- overall, like we've we talked about liking it, not liking it and everything, but I want to get a, a get kind of like a nail it down on a number. So the way that Andy and I do the Babylon 5 thing is we do a scale of 0 to 5, and you can do halves, like a 4.5 or something. So on a scale of 0 to 5, we're using halves. How would you rate this movie just from the standpoint of I went and saw it, it was a movie, I saw it, here's what I thought about it, okay? So Jason, where on a scale of 1 to 0, whatever to 5, would you put it? Uh, I'd say it's a three. It's
3: enjoyable. I do agree with Dave that I would have enjoyed it more if I had seen the movie before I read the book. Interesting. So it was a disappointment in comparison, but it's still a fun ride. I like it. I give it a thumb, one thumb up, one thumb sideways, so a three. Good deal.
2: Okay. D. So before you said it was on a scale of... One to five. I was thinking IMDb. I was like, this, this would be a six point seven for me on the one to ten scale. So I guess it's a what would that be three point five ish? Okay. Yeah, three point five ish.
1: Fair enough. Do you like this movie better, my do? So I think three's fair. Two and a half to three. Um, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I can watch the movie all the way through, but it doesn't like resonate resonate with me. I don't come away going. Oh wow, this one goes in my top ten. Uh, that, I don't get that type of reaction, that type of connection to it. It's a perfectly fine movie experience, but um, ultimately, it's it's a it's a lot of motion and a lot of noise, and it's a fun ride, and then it's over. Um, it doesn't it doesn't stick with me, so I would give I'll go ahead and give it a three.
0: Okay, I had to split it in terms of just the movie by itself. I give it a five because it's one of my top three movies of all time. I have to. But after the stuff that we've talked about today and how it could have been, I'm going to say 4.5 because there's a half a point it loses for stuff that could have been even better. I've always tried to figure out why it is I like it so much more than most people, and I don't know why that is. I think part of it was that Mira and I, she was just the right age, just like going with your kid when they're 10 to see Star Wars in 1977, you know? Although I was the, I was the 10-year-old. And that had a lot to do with it. We were just the two of us were just over, bubbling over in the theater with how awesome it was, you know, and there was part of me going, Oh, but I wish that we could have seen the tomb of horrors. Oh, I wish you could have figured out the puzzle. And I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. We're having a great time, you know? And so we just loved it. And, and from there, it's just, it's always, you know, been the same way. So, so you, you, you've, you've been met with a little difference of opinion in this
1: conversation today uh, with one of your favorite movies ever. My question to you is, are
0: you used to having this conversation with people or is this a new experience for you? Oh no, I've had it a million times. Um, because I talk about the movie all the time and and I never find anybody that likes it as much as I do except for Mira. So um, <laughs> so I have this I've had this conversation a million times, but I wanted to kind of drill down deeper than normal and with People whose views on this I really respect and, and and honor, you know, to begin with. So I knew that, you know, this isn't a let's trash it or let's talk about how great it is hollowly. This is like bringing substance, and that's what I wanted. And I wanted to. And you guys have made me think about some things for sure. I mean, we've we've gone through some things that I'm like, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, or and maybe maybe we've done the same way in the other direction. I don't know, but I mean, I think it's been really useful. I've I've you know, so that's where I am. All right, so y'all I, have, you want- I've got one
3: last thing yes, I wanted to, to toss in. I'm sorry. Absolutely. So one of the things that resonates with me, this is my all-time favorite movie trailer. Okay. Oh. When this dropped, I freaked. So this actually dethroned Star Wars Phantom Menace in in my book. So way back when, when you took it took like six hours to download the, the Star Wars Phantom Menace trailer <laughs> from the internet. You know, when yeah. you watch it for the first time, like, holy crap, who's that guy with red and horns with a lightsaber, right? When I watched the trailer for Ready Player One and it's set to jump by Van Halen and you see all these images, I'm like, I cannot wait to see this movie. So for me, yeah. just a little side note, it's my all-time favorite trailer, movie trailer of all time. That's interesting. Uh, but- I, thought
2: were, I thought you were talking about the trailer that had the, the variation on the Willy Wonka theme because that that to me like i was trying to find that song to download it as soon as i saw the trailer i'm like this is fantastic that the little the little ding as each thing was happening and that
0: was cool too you're gonna hear it i got it i'm gonna put it on the on the the bumper on this show so you're gonna hear all that don't worry plenty of music. on that
2: subject let me just touch on this before we get completely away there's one other thing that i really enjoyed about the movie that i didn't mention and that is the soundtrack you may or may not know my favorite movie from the 80s is Back to the Future. That was that was my 10-year-old moment, right? And the, John Williams was supposed to be, I mean, he always goes with Steven Spielberg to do stuff, but he was doing Spielberg's other movie, The Post, at the time. And so next best thing for them was Alan Silvestri. And so i that really helped me along in the movie to hear all of those very Silvestri and ergo Back to the Future, sound notes and cues throughout the throughout the picture. I really really liked that.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned that though, because I meant to ask you about the music. And when after David does his bit, I'm going to ask quickly about the songs. David, go ahead.
1: Well, I, I was I was going to give you the segue then for the songs because go ahead. Uh, the, sound, the soundtrack does need to be mentioned, and where are I believe the book largely neglected '80s music. That's like a big part of pop culture that didn't get its share. Obviously, Rush played a big part in the book, but that album was from the '70s. Yeah. And I don't know if we got '80s music in the book. And here in the in the movie, I said that you know a lot of the pop culture references not only do they go by too fast for my taste, but they didn't really have anything to do with the '80s. But the soundtrack takes you know makes up for a lot of that. The soundtrack was incredible. I love. You're talking about the score. I love the needle drops. I mean, I just, uh, that was, whenever a song hit, that was always, perked uh, me up, got my attention, put me right back in the movie. I thought it was a big strength of the movie.
0: Well, you need to read Ready Player Two then, because there's a huge segment of Ready Player Two that is a very, very big 80s rock star, pop star. Very, very important part of that book.
2: Another powerful trailer that they had started off with Tom Sawyer by Rush. Yes. Instead of any of the songs from... Twenty one twelve, and that one was an eighties gem. Uh, I mean, call me, you know, call me one of the sheep, but that's my that's my favorite Rush song. So I I love seeing that one.
0: Yeah, I the the thing about the music, I didn't love all of their music. I'll put it this way: if you if you go through the movie and pay specific attention to what songs come up in what parts of the movie, what I have determined is. It's much more about the lyrics relating to what's happening on the screen than it is the sound and the feel of the song and how appropriate it is for that moment. Because there are several moments in the movie that I'm like, this song doesn't really go. The the, the, the music, you know, I mean, the, the feel of it, the tempo and everything doesn't really go here. But if you listen to the words, like, I mean, it, over and over and over this happens. From the very beginning, it's jump when he's climbing down the, stacks to the very end when it's Everybody Wants to Rule the World. That one works okay. Or, well, there's Everybody Wants to Rule the World. No, that's at the beginning. When he's talking about winning the contest, it's Everybody Wants to Win the World. And at the end, it's You Make My Dreams Come True. It's it's always the title or the lyrics that fit. But like, when they were in the uh, Distracted Globe, in the trailer, it was AHA Take on Me. And I thought that worked great. That worked great in the, in the, in the Distracted Globe. But in the movie, it's Blue Monday and then Staying alive, staying alive was good. That put some life right into them. That woke everybody up. But that whole Blue Monday sequence, as much as I like it, okay, it was a little low. It just when she, when they jump Someone off together? the thing in the trailer, when they jump sure. off the ledge, it's it's doing the Take on Me and it's up tempo and it's cool. When I saw it in the movie, they jump off and you just keep hearing that Blue Monday slow song, and I'm like, well, that kind of let us down a little bit. But yeah, the that segues me into the trailer you mentioned. The last trailer, they call it the Dreamer trailer. I don't know why they call it that, but that's what they call it. That one I thought was really good, but it came on. It, they put that out right before the movie came out. And when the, the the first couple of trailers that came out, I did not think were very good, and I thought they did not market this movie very well. The the Dreamer trailer, if they had started with that a month or two before it came out, I think it would have been much more successful. But it reminded me very much of how John Carter was mar- was marketed by Disney in that they didn't really understand in the marketing department what they had. And so they didn't know how to tell us. And it's the same with the movie posters. The movie poster of, of Wade climbing down the stack at night with the really long leg, that doesn't make me want to see that movie. The Japanese poster with Mechagodzilla and the Gundam—we didn't even talk about the Gundam and Mechagodzilla—and um, all of—and the—and the Back and the to the Future car and and the and the dinosaur—that movie poster is awesome. And I thought that's the one they should have used here, man. That it it is kind of throwing pop culture stuff at you. I agree, but at least it's cool stuff on the poster and not just some random kid climbing down a ladder, which I thought. Why would anybody want to go see that? I didn't understand it. So, can we mention just for a moment that we saw a giant Gundam robot fighting Mecha Godzilla? I mean, if nothing it was else. It's cool, man. man. Come on. It was cool. Although, I wanted the old school Mecha Godzilla from the,
3: you know, the the rubber suit looking one. But
0: yeah, yeah. That's just me. But hey, you know what? We get him we get we get super new Mecha Godzilla again in King Kong and Godzilla versus Kong. And so it just blows my mind that we've had two live action Mecha Godzilla movies in the last five years. I just rewatched it and it's so good. So anyway, all right. Any, any last thoughts we're going to, I'm going to hit you with like four or five trivia questions and we'll wrap up for today. Good. All right, here we go. Let me see what I've got. I, I um, We did a handful of these for the book. We're going to try to get together again and do a trivia episode. We'll see how that goes when we can. Ah, okay, here you go. What nickname does H use to describe Artemis when Parzival first says he sees her next to him on the starting grid of the race? When he says he sees Parzival, H says, this person? And he says the name. What's the nickname? The Sixer Fixer? Oh, uh, yeah, there the you go. Fixer? That's good. Okay. That's good. That's right, good let's see. Who can you climb Mount Everest with in the Oasis? Batman. Batman. Yeah, I figured everybody would get that one. <laughs> um, which Star Trek movie? We talked about that there's a 2112 poster. We talked about Raiders of the Lost Ark. What Star Trek movie poster is hanging on Wade and Samantha's apartment wall at the end? You know it? I have a guess. I have a guess, too. But it's just I'm just going to say Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan. Is what I would say too. Star is. Trek, the motion picture. Okay. Uh, Star okay. Trek, the, the rainbow, you know, going down to Kirk and Spock and Leia. What animated show is featured on the lunchbox in uh, Wade's hideout when he reaches for his visor? This is a little harder than the book. You guys were just killing man. the book trivia. Y'all were like killing it. <laughs> I guess I've seen it. 50 I got nothing, times, man. So. Thundar the Barbarian. Oh, nice. All right. All right. Two more. Nice. Two more. Some of these are just too easy. Oh, okay. This is one that you just kind of have to know because you don't really get to see it enough, but it's a good one I'm going to ask you. What movie is being advertised on the theater marquee in the race before the T-Rex appears? I can't remember the title of the movie. It's Jack something three,
2: and it is a nod to Jason's favorite movie, The Last Action Hero. No. (laughs)
3: Uh, Just kidding.
2: Yeah, um, it's it's that's right. it, it it is whatever Arnold Schwarzenegger's character. It was like Schwarzenegger in Jack Slater, Jack, yeah. Slater three. Yeah. And they put that in there because Zach Penn was the writer of Bonus. Um, yes. Both Ready Player One and Last Action Hero. Last action hero.
0: That wow correct. You get the I wonder I didn't like this. <laughs> you get you get a, a, a bonus for that. That was a very good all right. Last one. I gotta pick a good one. When Halliday in the archives says he wants to go backwards really fast, he says somebody else did it. D, D is the trivia master I'm learning over the last two episodes. Who, who's, who else did it? Oh, nobody else got a guess. It's Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted did it. Nice, That's right? Bill and Ted right. did it. I want to go backwards nice. really fast, really fast? Bill and Ted did it. All right, good job. I've got a trivia question. All right. Og's wife,
1: the one Halliday was in love with what was her real world name and avatar name in the book and what and what was her real name and avatar name in the movie.
3: I know the avatar name. I know the avatar name in the book at least.
2: Uh-huh. I know and, it in the and movie. So it's Lucosia book, right? It's Kira from um, Dark Crystal.
0: That's her gamer movie. tag. Wow. That's the line, right? Oh. I, no, I'm saying you're right because that's what... That's what uh, Og says when, when he says, what's her name? He says, Kira. And he goes, that's her gamer tag. He's like, oh, her name is, and I can't remember.
1: In the book, her real name was Kira. And her avatar was Lucasia. In the movie, her avatar's name was Kira. With Kira, right. because of Dark Crystal. But her real name is Karen. Karen yeah. Underwood. Or- Karen yeah. Underwood,
0: yes. Okay. Yeah, I was just, I do not want to make sure, I wasn't freaking you guys out. I was quoting from the movie there that, that Odd yeah. says, yeah. that's her gamer tag, man. Because he says the great line that, I, that Mira and I joke about all the time. Where's the juice? There's no juice. I love that. <laughs> I love that scene so much. All right, well. I think we've done enough damage to this fine film. We can wrap that up there. Yes, Jason.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I got one more thing. I just want to re-emphasize one thing. Do I hate this movie? No. But if HBO Max could turn this into a nine-episode TV series a la The Last of Us, Mm. it would be the most amazing (sighs) thing, and I'm all on board for that.
0: Yeah, I said Peter at the Jackson's beginning, direct. I like I like more. I don't want less. You know, These people that right. say, oh, don't do that. It'll ruin it. I'm like, ruin away because maybe it'll be good. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm, I'm 100% down on that. Yep. All right, guys, any final thoughts? We're good? No, man, we really appreciate you having us on. I
2: really, I, you, we have to do the trivia episode okay. because I have a story to tell you guys that I can't wait. Like I've, I've, I was like, I should tell it in the first episode. Then I was like, well, there wasn't a spot for it. And then I was like, well, I'm not telling it during the movie episode. It has to be during the trivia episode. We'll do it. But I've got, I've got the little golden story to tell you guys before we get rolling on that. So we we'll got to, we got to get together again for
0: trivia. Hey, another opportunity to hang out with you guys and talk fun stuff. Is always cool with me. I've really enjoyed both these episodes so much. And again, I want to thank you guys because in, in a in a topic where there's disagreement, I like when folks can work through it and rationalize it and and learn right. And I learned some cool stuff today. So I, I hope that audience did too. So
1: I want to give some shine to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast because I I was a fan of their show before I got to know them as friends. And one thing that I really took away that shone through early on was just the overall positive approach, the focus on positivity. Yep. They demonstrate to everyone how you can disagree on something, but remain civil, remain respectful. Uh, I think your role models for the entire internet out there, everybody can take a lesson from that. Um, you know. And I have learned to approach albums and movies that I either have never thought about, cared about, or have not liked and have, you know, able to take a fresh perspective, take it on its own terms, see if I like it or not. And you know, instead of coming in as a hater, getting ready to trash this movie, I went about you know trying to try my best to love it, and then find a way to articulate you know in a positive way what works, what doesn't. But at the same time, you know, not having it turn into some kind of like toxic uh, hate fest. You know, so I give credit to to Jason and D and for just the whole uh, approach and tone and vibe of their show and kind of uh, kind of setting that mindset for me when it comes to stuff like this.
0: So Thanks, we will. Dave. We'll put your check in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. That, and and I, I, I echo everything you said there. We will save the toxic hate fest for whoever uh, wins <laughs> the trivia. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. The White Rocket's going to get out of here for another episode, and we will see you all down the road.
2: Uh, quality Base here. The Eagle has
0: landed. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.